I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalent Podcast. Microsoft has just announced its plans for Windows 11 and where the company's operating system is heading next. Pocalent's Dan Grabham joins me to give us all the details hot off the new announcement that we've just been watching to see how the new changes will affect you. Meanwhile, Pocalent's Rick Henderson has been talking to Eric Morales, lead of AWS Game Tech, about how the company is empowering gamers developers to make their games better. And keeping with the Microsoft theme, Pocalint's reviews editor, Mike Lowe, is here to tell us how he's been getting on with the Microsoft Surface Laptop 4. Should it be your next laptop? So stay tuned to find out if you want to know. But first, Dan, back to you. We've just come out of the Microsoft announcement. What's happening? Is it good news? Should we be excited? Yes, we've got a whole new version of Windows, which is sort of, uh, well, Windows 11, that's what it's called, um, which is which is sort of new, sort of not. You know, there's quite a lot, quite a lot of new design elements. Um, the icons in the taskbar have been moved to the center, but you can move them back if you want. Um, and there's sort of a new um, a new start menu, which is which is more like an app launcher, basically, that we're used to on, say, iPad OS or whatever. Um, uh, or, or any other operating system now, you know, we, we we get elements from all of them now, don't we, on, on different things. Um, and, you know, if there's there's a few other other enhancements as well, which we'll, which we'll come to. But yes, it's a, it, it, it is a new version of Windows. Microsoft hopes it will sell more PCs. Every PC manufacturer hopes it will sell more PCs. So that's really why we've got a new version. So the 45-minute presentation was very emotional. It was all about, you know, it was quite touching they they felt it was quite genuine that they'd you know built this thing that can work on on all devices and everywhere what do you think is the one big takeaway that you took from the presentation well microsoft really wants to make windows a platform for everything and and the sort of one surprising thing was that they announced support for android apps um via amazon's technology that that the amazon app store um and that was you know that 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 was sort of not surprising in that that Microsoft has been getting closer to Android and closer to other platforms, you know, like uh, with Amazon as well with with its with with Alexa support in the past. So, uh, but it is a it is a new sort of new sort of beginning for that that kind of thing because you know Microsoft has struggled to get developers to develop apps for the Microsoft Store um, specifically. A lot of lot of developers of apps have just you know just ship their own. Uh, own apps from their own websites or or mm. via other means not necessarily through the microsoft store so you know it's a new beginning for that because you know essentially you can have any android app running on windows and talking of apps and, and other platforms there was quite a big focus on gaming as well and looking at microsoft's xbox game pass how do we do we know any more details about that is that something that we should be uh gamers should be excited about well, yes. I mean, Game Pass support is, you know, is all, you know, is is always, uh, uh, is always going to be welcome. Um, and again, it's it's about, you know, Microsoft sort of bundling up of services. You know, Game Pass is very important to Microsoft strategy overall. Um, and you know, it making making you know making that front and center of Windows Eleven is 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 a smart move, really. Um, you know, it, it's again 
going back to this this sort of idea of Windows as a platform for other stuff, really. And that the more you talk about it, the more that seems to be a thing that's coming through. One of the things that some of the team members were excited about was the possibility of family teams. But then Microsoft surprised us all with just teams built in. Yeah, it's it's sort of Microsoft has had Skype sort of baked into Windows 10 for a while. It it, it shipped the sort of native Windows 10 app with with certain versions of of, of Windows, um, but it seems that that's sort of now being replaced by Teams. Which, I mean, is it is is good for some, not so good for others. I feel like Teams is a bit of a uh, a mystery to many people and you know a lot of people will, will just have never heard of it because it's a, still a relatively new app really um and so it's a it's you know microsoft has always struggled with with any kind of communication apps you know um msn messenger was massive mm. um, and then it really messed up by folding that into skype um you know so it's 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 it, it seems like it's part of a long line of sort of mind changing from Microsoft over what should be its priority with these kinds of apps and, and, you know, where, where it should take things. Um, and I don't think it's sort of any sort of, uh, it, it's not going to mean make a new beginning for that, but, but, you know, a lot of people are using teams now um, and it, it will, it, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a no brainer again for that, for those people. And so overall, do we think this is positive? I mean, they didn't seem to give a date of when this was coming out. No, no date. We do know that it's um, obviously the, the the build leaked last week. Um, now that seems like it was nearly feature complete. Microsoft says that it isn't. It wasn't anywhere near complete, but it's still going to ship a version to Windows insiders. You know, people that were interested in the development of Windows next week. Um, so that is that is quite interesting. That them having said that the the earlier build was not nowhere near ready but they're still going to um ship it to people next week but in fact in in terms of a, a full release i think we're probably talking or probably talking autumn or fall you know so september october time in time for the sort of festive period of pc buying around black friday and all that kind of thing so that's that sort of the, the target for it i think and and one of the team members that covers windows more than more than the rest of us are you what's your overall opinion of this do you are you, are you is this positive are you excited are you thinking just to repackage stuff like what, what's your feeling it is really positive there are some quite there are some sort of new elements the widgets element is is brand new for windows but is is sort of a bit repackaged in you know from the old from the old start menu design um you know the 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 new app launcher is pretty cool i think um, so it is a positive step, um, but it's sort of it's an iteration. But but that you know that's not that's not unusual, you know, because we we're seeing that with Mac OS, we're seeing that with iPad OS. You know, it's it, it, there's no sort of revelation because obviously these things have been refined over over a, a, a you know a long period of time. Um, the, the I mean, the, one danger from Microsoft's point of view is that whenever it's followed up. A successful version of Windows this millennium, um, it has done so with a not so good version of Windows. We're thinking sort of Vista. We're thinking Windows Eight. So that there's a there is a slight danger there. But I think because this is very similar to Windows Ten and is already clearly very stable, I can't see a, a, an issue with it really. And um, I think you know it's going to be 
it, it it's going to be a, a success. It won't make the splash of say XP or um, even Windows 10 when it was launched, but I, I, I think it's a step in the right direction, definitely. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Microsoft Surface Laptop 4. It's one of those laptops where even though it doesn't necessarily have all of the super duper spec at every possible level, just does everything really, really well, like all the sort of simple things that you really need. When you think of games, you mostly think about how good they look or how smoothly they run. But you rarely think of the processing power it takes to both make a game and host one online so you can play with thousands of other like-minded gamers. Companies like Amazon Web Services work in the background to support developers during the creation process and deliver your multiplayer action when you need it. Pogolin's Rick Henderson spoke to Rick Morales, the European game tech lead of AWS, to find out exactly how its servers can benefit gamers and how gaming could grow and change in the future thanks to cloud-based tech. Rick started by asking Eric to explain how AWS can benefit the gaming community as a whole. So AWS is Amazon Web Services, and um, specifically AWS is a collection of cloud computing services that uh, help developers, help companies, uh, help users all over the world um, have uh, full access to uh, an Amazon-scale data center and all the services within it, uh, but um, abstracted as, as code, right? So how that benefits companies like game developers is um, whether you need compute resources for development or hosting or database resources for, you know, collecting and managing your user data um, or delivery services so that, uh, you know, you can stream games or uh, stream backend services to your end users. Um, we help you do all of that in a, um, in a pay-as-you-go fashion with no commitments or contracts uh, and with global availability. So um, my team is AWS Game Tech. So we are specifically focused on helping game developers, game publishers, and, and games um, software and middle, middleware providers uh, do more with the cloud. And you know, we're, we're doing this in the pursuit of helping uh, the, to create really fun new games powered by the cloud. So is your, um, is your role uh, essentially to be invisible to gamers themselves? Uh, you know, I... I I'd say if we're really successful, then um, yeah, in many cases, uh, gamers might not recognize that AWS is a part of that experience. Um, you know, a good example of this is, you know, we work with 90% of the top games publishers and developers on the planet. So some specific examples there are, um, you know, customers like Ubisoft, uh, who launched games like For Honor a couple of years ago that was entirely powered by AWS or uh, Epic Games and Fortnite which is also powered entirely by AWS. Um, you know, we, we also work with developers in really kind of unique ways. So uh, IO Interactive, for example, the, the Danish studio behind the Hitman series, they use AWS uh, and specifically they use services like Amazon Polly, which is the voice engine behind Alexa. Uh, they use that um, to test and to write the narratives and the scripts and the dialogue for the characters within their game. So AWS helps you know, both the foundational um, uh, delivery and service level of games and game developers, but we also have services that can help the creative aspects of game development and game design uh, a little bit easier and, um, and more efficient for developers as well. So I think, yes, that's the case. And, and if uh, it, uh, a lot of players out there would be quite surprised to know uh, how many of the games that they play and, and, and love every day are using the cloud and using AWS to one degree or another. Um, you know, 
there are obvious mainstays like Fortnite, which we talked about, but also games like Clash of Clans and Brawl Stars and, and Clash Royale or even Borderlands 3. Uh, these are all titles that are powered by AWS, um, and uh, and there are many more to come as well. So server use, remote server use, could actually benefit games other than just, say, online play, which a lot of people would associate with uh, with having to use the cloud. But um, say, for example, a game would persistently access the cloud in another way during, during your play. Sure. Is that possible? Oh, absolutely. And there's lots of great examples of that. Um, but, you know, just to give you a couple of unique use cases where it's not just um, the hosting of a server, right? <clears throat> um, take a game uh, or take a, a company like Quantic Dream, where if you're a gamer, um, uh, maybe you're familiar with Quantic Dream. They're a French studio. They were founded by David Cage and, and a few others. And they, they create these incredibly beautiful cinematic, um, you know, uh, more lean back adventure style games. Uh, so they're pro- they have games like Detroit Become Human most recently or Heavy Rain, uh, which launched on the PS3 years ago. Uh, and, and these games are heavily motion captured, right? And they're very, very high fidelity and, and um, you know, with uh, a, a real uh, premium put on visuals. And so when COVID-19 hit, you know, this is a studio that's used to working with big workstations tucked underneath a desk with powerful graphics hardware. And they would have their designers and their artists in the office, in the studio, doing this design work. When COVID hit, um, they weren't allowed to go to the office in Paris anymore. And that was a tremendous productivity hit initially. And so what they decided to do was actually move their design team into the cloud entirely. And that enabled them to build these really powerful, uh, you know, graphics-capable workstations in the cloud and then stream them to their designers at home. So theoretically, they could hire designers anywhere in the world now, not just in Paris. Uh, and, you know, that designer could open up a Chromebook, right? And uh, and they could send them a Wacom tablet and they could stream a 4K 60 frame per second uh, Windows uh, development environment using the same software they were using on site to continue to produce and create these amazing cinematic style titles. So that's one use case where we're actually helping customers with um, direct productivity support, right, through virtual workstations. One other quick example, and uh, then I'll, I promise I'll shut up, is uh, is Rovio. Uh, so if you're familiar with Rovio, they're uh, the, the the Finnish company behind Angry Birds, and Rovio is actually one of the foremost uh, artificial intelligence leaders in the world. A lot of folks don't realize just the amazing contributions that company is, has given to the artificial intelligence and machine learning community. There's great computer science thought leadership there. Uh, and w- they launched a game a couple of years ago called Angry Birds Dream Blast, which is like a match three puzzle title. Uh, and this game has lots of levels that are produced and launched every week, right? And they had to test these levels for bugs. They had to test them for um, difficulty levels, all those things. And so they decided to experiment and create two um, uh, two artificial intelligence bots, two machine learning bots uh, using AWS. One of them used a, a heuristic learning method, right? So uh, it, basically that model knew how to play these styles of games. And so it could kind of act like a regular user. And the other a bot used um, reinforcement learning, right? Which was complete chaos. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. like handing a, a, a tablet to a toddler for the very first time. And so uh, they would then run these bots in parallel, um, you know, with dozens, hundreds of compute uh, powered instances. Uh, and, and that way they could actually test these levels at scale. And the data that they got after they ran these models 
helped them to inform what the difficulty level was of each of the new levels they were producing. And that enabled them to go back to their human QA team. Uh, you know, that's the team that had emotions and cared about how fun a game was, right? Had opinions. Uh, it could better enrich their work because they already had this data of how difficult the levels were. Uh, and that really changed the way they handled quality assurance for their games moving forward. And Is it so, possible yeah. at some at some point in the future, or, or or even now, to for a game to actually use the compute power of the cloud of AWS services yep. to um, to actually run assets within a game live? Uh, absolutely, and this is happening today. So there, there's um, in, in virtual reality, I'll take a, a quick step back. In virtual reality, there's this interesting concept called foveated rendering, if you're not familiar with that. And the idea behind foveated rendering was that um, you could reduce impact on the VR headset or the compute environment itself by only rendering in full resolution what the eye was directly looking at. Right, and everything else wasn't quite rendered to the same resolution. Uh, so you can imagine if you take a similar that similar outlook and and move it to the cloud, you can absolutely imagine where a world where you are uh, maybe you have a giant battle royale game, for example, and there are a hundred players who log in at the same time, and the only parts of the island that are actually um, uh, that are actually rendered in the game and, and that are a part of the simulation are the parts of the island where players are physically engaging with one another. Uh, that, that capability exists today, and we have developers and customers that are using that kind of capability. You can also imagine a world where, you know, a uh, something like a, a Breath of the Wild style open, um, open world RPG may, uh, you know, might have a locally rendered aspect of the map uh, on the local device, but the rest of the map is sitting in the cloud, just waiting to be rendered with the compute power of the cloud and pushed to the end user. And I think you're going to see a lot more of these hybrid style environments um, where even in single player experiences and always on connection can help ensure you have a really, really high fidelity experience uh, and the illusion of having this massively rendered world sitting locally when in actuality, parts of it are being, uh, bits of it are being streamed from the cloud. I mean, that's that's superb. In fact, that not only will it hopefully uh, reduce uh, download times for mm -hmm. games initially, but also to actually give you bigger, better open world environments. For sure. And I think this is also a way, one of the uh, common themes that, that's popped up a lot recently is in a world where cloud gaming is beginning to become um, a, a, you know, a, a serious uh, part of the industry. So, and by cloud gaming, I mean um, streaming games like, Xbox uh, xCloud or uh, Amazon Luna or Google Stadia. Um, you know, we're very we're in very early days of that kind of new interface for games. Um, but, uh, you know, I can imagine a world where uh, you have a traditional console experience where you have a local version of the game uh, and the exact scenario that we just talked about, where there are, are a large number of assets that are sitting in the cloud, effectively being streamed to a local client that has part of the game rendered in a very, very high fidelity fashion. And that's going to enable much more efficient um, use of the technology. I think it's going to enable developers to get a lot more um, uh, a lot more fidelity out of uh, uh, and power out of the consoles that are part of this new console generation. And it could potentially extend the life cycle of this new console generation. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Has the pandemic um, increased the amount of the growth in the use of cloud for gaming? Um, not 
not least things like Fortnite, like the amount of players now playing Fortnite? Yeah, so uh, for sure. Um, I I think the the answer is yes, and there's an asterisk there, and I'll explain why. So, um, you know, the the data shows that games that were successful and deployed uh, have absolutely seen a marked increase in players, and and specifically playtime. More people are playing video games for longer. Um, However, if you drill into the individual user data, and this is not something that AWS has visibility into, but if you, um, you, know, if you uh, speak to individual developers or speak to publishers who are paying a lot of attention to their monthly active users, they'll tell you that um, more people are playing games for sure, but net new players of games is actually not as high as a lot of people thought. Right, so um, what the the phenomenon that I think a lot of developers are seeing is people who have always liked video games and maybe who took a step back from the hobby uh, a few years ago to um, you know to be more uh, um, of a spectator on Twitch or on YouTube or people who maybe didn't feel like they had the time uh, to kind of continue with the hobby in the past. Uh, a lot of those folks are really reengaging with the hobby and they're getting back into gaming just in, in smaller bite-sized chunks. And what's interesting is around the world, as, as Asia has begun to open back up, as North America has begun to open back up, as uh, you know, EMEA and Europe in general is slowly beginning to open back up over time, um, those numbers tend to be holding, right? Uh, people are coming back to gaming, they're, they're playing more uh, and they're sticking around. So this doesn't just feel like a, a cyclical increase. Uh, uh, we don't think that COVID-19 um, and was a te- was a temporary um, shot of adrenaline for the games industry. We think it was an accelerant uh, that accelerated a lot of additional movement and a, a lot of new uh, engagement from players um, that was already happening. It just happened faster. Um, so uh, to finish up, sure. um, do you think that uh, what what do you think the cloud will? enable for future of gaming um yeah. something that might not have already been done sure so uh, i think um it, it's firstly it's going to um democratize uh really big ideas right and and one of the key trends that we see in the gaming space is um games are increasingly becoming social um social collection points right uh, uh and they're becoming less about lean back interactive experiences and more about actively engaged, um, almost social network activity, right? So this concept of the metaverse, right? That's really been been uh, spearheaded by Roblox and Fortnite and, um, and and Minecraft to a lesser extent. That is getting increasingly more, uh, uh, increasingly louder and, um, and it's getting uh, more ubiquitous throughout the industry. And we're seeing this a lot from our customers. I think that um, to specifically answer your question, what in addition to that, the cloud's focus is going to be on helping to enable um, the types of games and the types of large scale simulations. Uh, think open world titles, think to your point, partially streamed, hybrid stream titles, and also frankly, uh, the delivery of, of games in new ways like cloud streaming and cloud gaming capabilities such as Amazon Luna, that I think is, a, is going to be a really interesting touch point for the games industry over the next few months. It's still very early, obviously, um, but these trends aren't going away. And the other thing that I'll, I'll kind of mention just to co- close off as well is, um, you know, we think that, uh, that the cloud uh, and, and frankly, this new excitement around games uh, that's, that's gotten bigger over the last few months 
that that's turning that, that's creating new business models within the games industry, which is super interesting. We already talked about game streaming and the um, and giving users the ability to watch a YouTube video or a Twitch stream, click a button, and immediately jump into that title. That's real now. Like the computer science exists, you can do that today, which is amazing. Um, but uh, there's also this this idea of different types of subscription services and different distribution models for games, um, and we're seeing that have an impact on the types and the genres and the and the narrative content within games that, that are being produced. Um, a game like Untitled Goose Game, right, which was partially funded by Epic Games, if you'd gone back to the industry 10 years ago and walked into a major publisher and said, I want to create a stealth puzzle game where you play as a goose who terrorizes <laughs> an English village, right, that does not seem like a particularly marketable uh, title from a commercial perspective, but the game was a huge hit. Uh, and it, and it was uh, and, and we think that uh, business models like Epic Game Store's free game model, where they're acting as a patron for new types of games, uh, and the demand for original content from a lot of these other providers, streaming subscription services and services like Apple Arcade, that's going to result in this really interesting renaissance of creativity that we're already beginning to benefit from. And so I'm super excited about this, uh, and the cloud is an underpinning component of all of it. Uh, lastly, are yeah. we all going to have to get? Faster broadband to keep up. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for sure. Well, uh, let, let me say this: that uh, that broadband is um, it's going to be critical. Uh, no, there's no question, right? Um, and uh, and last mile connectivity is 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 super important, um, and it's inconsistent all over the world. Uh, you know, I, I lived in Stockholm, Sweden, for the last five years, where uh, broadband and, and fiber access was exceptional, right? Uh, and it was except it was intentionally exceptional. Uh, and uh, and I, I greatly benefited from that, right? Um, you know, I, I now live in London and it hasn't been as consistent, I'll be honest with you. And so I think there's definitely an opportunity for, um, you know, further development in broadband um, to to kind of uh, help enable some of these experiences. But that's, that's another good reason why, you know, the existing models of uh, consoles and PC games and downloadable titles, those aren't going anywhere anytime soon, right? I think um, you'll see more connectivity powered by the cloud um, but that's in the uh, in the furtherance and to benefit the existing games distribution models like digital downloading, um, which are still really popular and will continue to be for a long time. So not to steal his thunder, but Mike, Provenance Reviews editor, thinks the Microsoft Surface Laptop 4 might just be the best Windows 10 laptop there is. But there must be a catch, right? Well, thankfully, Mr. Lowe is here to explain more. So Mike, why is it so good and why do you like it so much? Um, it's one of those laptops where even though it doesn't necessarily have all of the super duper spec at every possible level, it just does everything really, really well, like all the sort of simpler things that you really need. So the trackpad's great, it's really good to type on, screen's decent quality even though, yeah sure there's better high resolution ones out there, but it kind of just compiles everything that you need in a really elegant package that kind of contends at the level that, that Mac was with uh, kind of the MacBook Pro probably a few years ago, really. And so, as I said in my intro, there's there's got to be a catch. Uh, yeah, Is there a catch? Kind of, kind of not. <laughs> it's The main issue, I suppose, with it is really that, and actually it's just similar to what Apple was doing by falling into the trap of not really updating that much. So the Surface 4 compared to the previous version, it's not really very different. Like the design is exactly the same. So nothing's changed there. Um, you know, the edges of the screen, the bezel's a bit thicker. 
that kind of stuff is advancing more elsewhere if you look at companies like Dell, for example. Mm. So there's room for improvement, as there is with pretty much everything. Um, but I would still take it anyway, because it just everything just kind of combines into this really decent package. And so, forgive me for wrong, but this sounds like you've just described the man that I want my daughter to bring home for the first time to say that she's dating someone. It's kind of, it's not pushing anything out there. It's not being difficult. It's not weird. He hasn't got like a, a mohawk or something like that. He's just nice. <laughs> is that like, is that how you, is that the best way to describe this? Uh, it's it's bloody nice. Yeah, that's what we kind of said in the review. It's, it, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's not offensive. It's it's not kind of trying too hard almost in a way. It just, it just really it just does its thing and it does it really well. Um, so it, it'll appeal to a bunch of people. Like I say, though, it's not, it's not happened like immediately. If it's, this is four generations in, so we're talking kind of years and there's a lot of product development in the background for it. But Microsoft has really hit a stride with, with what it's doing in, in laptops, in actual products. So yeah, it's a, it's a decent thing. And, and actually one thing to point out, of course, this uh, fourth gen version is the first time they've introduced not just Intel, but also AMD Ryzen as well. So that's uh, one possible additional line of appeal to those who might want to say get a bit more battery life out of it. Um, although we reviewed the Intel one because that's what was provided. Now, who is this for? It's kind of crosses a wide gamut, really. Like it would be the kind of thing that I would buy if I wanted a Windows laptop where I could do a bit of streaming, do long form typing. Uh, you know, it could be office work. It's kind of that. It straddles that fence of both. You could take it to work, but bring it home um, and use it as a personal computer. But it's not, you know, it's not like reaching out to like super creatives who need like a more specific or balanced screen. It's not kind of got gigantic power inside that you might find elsewhere, but need more money for. So it's really just kind of sat in that that kind of position where it's going to do everything really well without costing you an absolute fortune. Um, and it kind of, like I say, it sits on, kind of hits all the right points, all the right notes, really. And do you feel that this is where it's going? Because we obviously see a lot of laptops on PocketLint. And, you know, as you say, there are people like Dell that are really pushing the boundaries. You know, Lenovo constantly seems to be coming out with weird and wonderful form factors and, and stuff like that. Do you think that there's a market or a place in the market for people that just want something that works but isn't necessarily, like, super exciting? Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, if you think about, say, like cars, you know, you get all these kind of weird and wacky car designs, and it's a lot of fun. But when you kind of pair it back, a car pretty much always just looks like a car. And kind of with laptops, we've seen some weird and wacky ones in the past where, you know, uh, the trackpads have moved to the other side of the keyboard, or you've got, you know, a, a camera that's underneath an F key instead, and it's basically looking up at your chins when you're on a call rather than at your face um and those things are really exciting and fun and cool but they're actually kind of less practical and and there's something about a laptop that when it does all the sort of basics correct it doesn't look more than like it's just a laptop but when it Mm. delivers what you need in use that's kind of the fundamentals of what laptop design have become right it's it's when you pare it down that's it's really not going to develop perhaps hugely extensively in the future i think we'll just see tweaks to a format that just really works for a lot of people and do you think with obviously with the 
with Windows 11 on the horizon, we were hearing from the news that, you know, earlier that Dan's been, you know, they've just announced. Do you think this is, is this ready for the next iteration of Windows or do you think there'll be things that will you'll start to struggle with? Um, it really depends how long we're going to be waiting for the next gen. I, I don't think uh, it's going to be necessarily kind of tied to product. Um, we'll see what Microsoft does when it comes to, to launching the software. Um, the, this fourth gen product came out not actually that long after the third, to be honest. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if realistically when, when Windows 11 or whatever it's going to be called arrives, you'll probably see more hardware that comes alongside that, that kind of packages it all together and adds that other line of appeal to those who, who really want to be kind of day one adopters to, to that software platform. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip.